Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. The Estate is released every Wednesday and brought to you absolutely free. But if you want early access to next week's episode and ad-free listening, subscribe to Tenderfoot Plus. For more information, check out tenderfootplus.com. Enjoy the episode. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the podcast author or individuals participating in the podcast and do not represent those of Tenderfoot TV, Sonoro, or their employees. This podcast also contains subject matter which may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. Previously on The Estate. Pat Ferguson was more than doing it as a job. I mean, she was truly emotionally involved in this case. They were in the newspaper, on the news, every day for, I don't know, over a year. The whole church, everybody believed that we did this before we even had a chance. Since my dad died, I've had to deal with the fact that I didn't really know him. Not the way other people did. And as I talked to people from my dad's past, this image of my father developed. Rosie Estrada, the fixer. If you needed something done, you talked to Rosie. He was the brains behind the operation. He was bright. So bright. He was a mathematical genius. And he always had a project that he was doing. Randy Bell, whom we heard in the last episode, was one of my dad's closest friends. She got to see him in his element, working as a political consultant and strategist in Stockton. Together, they ran local campaigns. She describes my father as a man who was not only brilliant, but also kind. He was probably my very most loyal friend I've ever had in my life. And nobody can replace him. He was there for her in moments of grief and distress, providing words of comfort and advice. Then there's Brian Jones, Calvin's middle son. With his own dad in prison, he often went to my dad for guidance. I always told people he was my godfather. He is my, like, go-to person, my confidant, my advisor, conciliary. He's the one that'd be like, oh, maybe you shouldn't do that. No, I'll talk to so-and-so or talk to so-and-so or let me check on it. I'll get right back to you. As a young man, Brian was looking to get into local politics. 
So he went to Rosie. My dad gave him a plan of exactly what to do. It was calculated and thorough. And he'd always would have it written out, whole game plan written out, and he'd slide it to me. There you go. And I would use it all the time. This was not the man I knew. I never went to my dad for advice. Instead of words of encouragement, I would get belittling insults. To me, Rosalie Ostrada was a bully. He was violent and threatening. Which is why, for the majority of my life, I believed he got away with murder. From Sonoro in partnership with Tinderfoot TV, I'm Alex Estrada, and this is The Estate. This is what I know so far. Tony, right before he died, told a police officer that Rosie Estrada and Calvin Jones set him up and had him shot. But that dying declaration from Tony, along with a life insurance policy, was the only thing police seemed to have. According to a Virgilio family member, the police conducted a shoddy investigation that no one was happy with. They didn't find any physical evidence or witnesses to the crime. It's six years after the murder. My dad is now making a new place for himself in politics, a love he would hold on to for the rest of his life. Jesse Villarreal Garza is a Latino businessman and saw my dad in action. When I first met him, he threatened me. What? <laughs> he says, I can give you a, a one-way ticket to Texas. I says, hey, my family in Mexico can give you a one-way ticket to hell. <laughs> Despite the rocky start to their friendship, Jesse says he saw what my dad was trying to do for the community. That made him want to put their differences aside and join forces. As Jesse describes it, life in Stockton, California for minorities was not easy. Here he is speaking to Angelina about what that time meant for Latinos. What was it like for somebody who was Black or who was Mexican? One word. Hard. If not impossible. I knew that my dad and Calvin bonded over their involvement in politics. They both saw it as a way to make life better for their people during a time when there weren't many opportunities. The Hispanic people, we were climbing a hill where everybody else is running down the hill. I mean, it was hard for us. You know, we had to climb every inch of the way and fight every inch of the way. So how was my dad going to get into politics? How was he going to get over that uphill climb? by aligning himself with another guy who started on the outside, Carmen Perino. In the late 70s, Carmen Perino was a California state assemblyman. Carmen was a short, stocky man with a loud personality. And my dad, a son of Mexican field workers, was his right-hand man. My dad got to know Carmen through local politics and eventually became his campaign coordinator and that was a big deal. Calvin and Rosie leveraged this position to give Latinos and Blacks better representation. Here's Calvin again. 
you know, we sent people up there. They had a complaint. They went to, they went downtown to Carmen's office. Back then, they, they didn't ever do that before. And we could get Carmen to do certain things that no one else would do. Calvin's son, Brian, also said that Rosie and Calvin were trying to use their influence to shake things up in Stockton. They did some groundbreaking thing as far as housing is concerned. And if you were black or Mexican and you had to live south of Harding, they began to place people in houses north of there. Stockton up until the 80s was deeply segregated. Harding Way is a main thoroughfare that cuts the city in half. The north side is generally white and more affluent. South Stockton, on the other hand, is seen as poor, dangerous, and brown. According to Brian, Rosie and Calvin were trying to racially integrate North Stockton, which brought on a lot of hate. People didn't care for them too much. A young black man and a young Latino man and their partners, and they're doing construction and providing housing for different people, and just maybe not necessarily the most liked people in certain sectors. When I asked Calvin about why he and Rosie were disliked, he says that white people felt threatened by what they were trying to do through politics and housing integration. And a lot of people was agitated and afraid that was in power. They were afraid of us. I mean, for their own reason, but they were. It's hard to know exactly how Calvin and my dad were perceived. In my interviews, I found two perspectives. To some, they were gangsters, bagmen for Carmen Perino. To others, they were activists who were demanding rights and equal representation. I can't tell you which one they were, but I agree with Brian. You know, sometimes people's perceptions of them have to do with their own internal dialogue. And when you're a racist, just because people are progressive and they may seem a little pushy, you might think that they're gangsters or whatever, but uh, I think they were just pushing boundaries and didn't take no for an answer. That's what I really, really think. Regardless of what you thought of Rosie and Calvin, their status as political operators peaked in the early 1980s when Carmen Perino was challenged by Pat Johnston a young and ambitious politician with eyes on Carmen's seat in the assembly. Here's Dan Walters, a veteran political journalist. This battle between these two Democratic factions was fierce, very fierce. I mean, to this day, people still are holding grudges about that. And that's been 40 years ago. And it's still one of those signal things that happened in the political history of California. My dad always told me he and his best friend Calvin were brought down as part of a larger political conspiracy. I never bought that. But we do know that Rosie was in politics. Rosie's job as Carmen Perino's right-hand man was to make sure Carmen won at all costs. So when someone challenged him, Rosie got involved. And in 1980, that challenger was Pat Johnston. I knew the guy pretty well. I ran into Pat at a Democratic state convention in San Francisco, and he was literally white-faced. The blood was drained out of his face. And I said, what's going on, Pat? He said that Rosie Estrada came up to him. Pat Johnson told me this moments after it happened. Pat, I just saw Rosie, held up his finger, pointed at his head like a gun, 
said, if you run against Carmen, you're fucked. Johnston had some powerful people on his side, one being our old friend, Patricia Kaiser. Randy Bell was a longtime political operative in Stockton and remembers that time as nothing short of chaotic. But she was involved politically with Pat Johnston. Pat Johnston wanted an assembly. It was just, it was a cast of characters. It could have been a soap opera. According to our investigation, Patricia was actively fundraising for Patrick Johnston in his race against Perino. That is a major conflict of interest. Since Patricia is a prosecutor, she clearly has a motive to convict Rosie. If he goes down for the murder, so does Carmen's campaign. Pat Johnston wins, and Patricia has access to one of the most powerful men in the county. So Patricia stood to gain politically and financially from Rosie's conviction. Remember, she was representing Tony's widow in a wrongful death lawsuit for $2 million. She and her husband just bought Virgilio's home, and now she's working for Rosie's rival. It's the spring of 1980. The Democratic primary is just two months away. It's a neck-and-neck race. And as it's heating up, Patricia gets a tip she's been waiting on for almost a decade. A witness that will put Calvin and Rosie in jail for murder and cost Perino his campaign. That's after the break. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. All right. Before we get to the 80s and Rosie and politics, we need to go back to the 70s, when cocaine is huge. Eric Clapton's hit song and the movie Scarface are cultural touchstones that epitomize the drug scene in the country. Obviously, Miami was the hotspot, but Northern California also had a lucrative narcotics trade. After their businesses collapsed, Rosie landed on his feet in the political scene. But Calvin was struggling. 
According to Calvin, this murder investigation created a cloud of suspicion that destroyed his reputation, his business, and his life. It was hard because the police was still on us. I mean, they, you know, all my lenders, everybody had turned against us, you know, because they had put it out that we had had a Mesopotamia kill. So it was kind of tough to do anything. The way Calvin tells it, his back was against the wall. He didn't really see another way out. So at this time, how would you describe your financial situation? Uh, desperate. By this time, Calvin was in his mid-30s with five kids. A once prominent businessman, he was now struggling to pay his mortgage. And he makes a risky move. He decides to get into the cocaine business. A man suspected of murder, with the police watching his every move, makes the choice to get involved with illegal drugs. I gotta know, what was he thinking? Well, I didn't think I was going to get caught doing anything. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I mean, I wasn't really, I wasn't going to sell no drugs. I was Mm -hmm. just doing a, like a go-between other people. So this gets in the weeds a bit. No pun intended, but bear with me. Essentially, Calvin says he didn't want to be moving or selling drugs. He just wanted to be the middleman introduce suppliers with potential buyers. Yeah, I figured that if I connected the two, that I could get some money in between. But I never never have sold any drugs. No, I never have sold any drugs. Still today, I haven't. In the spring of 1979, Calvin meets a person named Cleon Weaver. According to Calvin, they met at a friend's house. So I just happened mm-hmm. to be over there. I think it was, I mean, I really didn't pay no attention to it. I didn't, you know, <laughs> we just talked for a minute. And uh-huh. I had no reason, you know, that's how I met it. Cleon had just arrived in Stockton. And after that first meeting, Cleon and Calvin developed a friendship. Cleon said they'd go out together quite a bit. To nightclubs, long drives. They'd see each other two or three times a week. But this is where the stories diverge. Calvin says it wasn't like that at all. I didn't really meet with him. A couple of times I was at a club and he just happened to show up. I tried to press Calvin about the nature of their relationship, but he was cagey with his answers. So you had never been to his house or, you know, never went on a trip with him or nothing like that? I went to his house one time. Yeah. And what was that about? Why did you head over to his house? Uh, I was trying to figure out what he was trying to do, really. He had told me he was able to get some drugs during that time. So we just tried to figure out what he was doing. Calvin says selling drugs was Cleon's idea. Cleon says it was Calvin's idea. But regardless if it was Cleon's or Calvin's, the fact is they were having conversations about selling and buying cocaine. And Calvin doesn't deny that. I mean, why didn't didn't you just like ignore him or just say like, okay, whatever, man. Like, I don't don't mess with that. I don't know anybody about that. During that time, we were kind of interested in doing it and those things. 
you know, mm-hmm. that was back when cocaine was real prevalent and a lot mm-hmm. of people were using it. And it was something that, you know, I was just interested in seeing if I could make some money doing that stuff. When I hear Calvin talk about his choices, I try to imagine things from his perspective. Here was a college-educated businessman who went from having it all to having nothing. It's clear that he was willing to go to any lengths to put food on the table. I know being desperate and having a family to support doesn't justify breaking the law. But still, I can't judge him for trying to earn a living, especially given his limited options. But while Calvin in his mind is just playing with the idea of getting involved in the drug trade, he is actually being classified by the DEA as a class one violator. That means the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration believes he's trafficking several kilos of heroin, or twice that much, in cocaine. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast hey i'm brett podolsky co-founder of the farmer's dog we make fresh food for dogs we started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog jada when she stopped eating ultra processed kibble and started eating fresh whole food the farmer's dog food isn't fancy it's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs it's better for them and easier for you Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. In the documents, we found a DEA report about a drug sale involving Calvin. According to the report, Calvin sold a small amount of cocaine, about an ounce, to an undercover agent for $360 and promised that he could get more through his connection. But what Calvin didn't know is that Cleon Weaver, 
The man who befriended him in the late summer of 1979 was working as an informant, and his reports to the DEA lead to a sting operation to bust Calvin. Charles A. Stowell was the DEA agent leading the operation. This scene is recreated from the reports we obtained. All right, boys. I'm going to meet Jones at our informant's house at 3 p.m. He's going to sell me one pound of Colombian cocaine. Remember, wait for my signal. You got it, sir. Stowell arrives at the scene and enters Cleon's home. Everything is set to go. Four hours later, Calvin shows up. Hey, man, sorry I'm late. You know that new car, but... Yeah, the one you paid cash for? Yeah, man, crapped out on me. Broken radiator hose. Yeah, it's all right. I'm just glad I caught you. So you got the money on you? Yeah, 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 it's right here. Stowell goes outside with Calvin and shows him $50,000 in cash in the trunk of his car. So you ready to go? Sure am. Free, get on the ground! What the hell? Hands up, motherfucker! Hands up! Calvin Jones, you are under arrest. What are you guys doing? I didn't give the signal. What? I thought for sure it was. Jesus, no. This is where things go off the rails. Surveillance agents mistake a signal for arrest. So they move in to bust Calvin too early and botch the sting. Well, we gotta arrest him now. Where's the pound of cocaine, Calvin? Man, I'm not talking to you. Check his car. Uh, sir, there's nothing in here. Shit. What do we do, sir? Well, bring him in. We got him for the 30 grams he sold me three weeks ago. They arrest Calvin for 29.2 grams of cocaine. And that ties in with Patricia Kaiser and the political fight. Because the guy who gets Calvin busted for cocaine goes to Patricia with a confession. Apparently, Calvin told him he and Rosie had Virgilio killed. And that was all Patricia needed. So in April of 1980, Rosie and Calvin are arrested for murder. Just two months before the election. Rosie resigns, but the damage is done. Carmen's campaign goes down in flames. So once again, hearsay. First, it was Tony's dying declaration. Now it's an informant retelling an old story with no recording, no notes, no physical evidence, nothing. But that's enough to arrest someone for murder? How the hell would Cleon even know what Calvin was talking about? It's not like he was around back then. The first time I heard my dad's story about all of this, I didn't buy his political conspiracy angle. I mean, it seemed crazy. But now I feel like my head is about to fucking explode. It reminds me of this thing I learned about in law school. These cases where the facts are just insane, where every person involved made the worst possible decision and had the worst possible luck. And there was a name for this, the Parade of Horribles. And this is what the story of my dad and Calvin is, the Parade of Horribles. It's like at every turn, there's something pulling them back into this murder. Rosie getting into politics, Calvin getting into drugs, Patricia being on Pat Johnston's team. It's all a series of terrible coincidences leading us back to Tony Virgilio, 
But the one thing that is missing in all of this is evidence, hard evidence linking them to the case. We know that the police only had rumors and hearsay leading into the trial. How is that enough to convict someone for life? That's next time on The Estate. The Estate was produced by Sonoro in partnership with Tinderfoot TV. Hosted by me, Alex Estrada and Angelina Mosier-Salazar. Reported by Angelina Mosier-Salazar. Investigated by Angelina Mosier-Salazar, Alex Estrada, and Evelyn Uribe. Written by Angelina Mosier-Salazar and Alex Estrada. With help from Evelyn Uribe and Carlos Arenado. Edited by Ross Terrell and Jasmine Romero. Fact check by Sarah Moda and Evelyn Uribe. Mix and sound design by Manuel Parra and Daniel Padilla. Engineering by Josh Hahn, Sam Baer, and Brett Tubin at the Relic Room in New York City. Original music by Ernesto Aguirre. Our theme song is by Marcus Bagala. Executive produced by Alex Estrada. From Sonoro, executive producers are Joshua Weinstein and Camila Victoriano. From Tenderfoot TV, executive producers are Donald Albright and Payne Lindsay. Special thanks to Lisa Pollock, Sarah Boannon, Christian Yatar, Rodrigo Crespo, Carmen Graterol, and Adriana Broger 